Psalm 19, and we're starting a new series. We're still busy with a very big series called First Aid for the Soul. We've looked at emotional problems. We've looked at work-related problems. We did an introduction, foundational things. And now we're coming to personal problems. And we're going to start off and kick off this series with quiet time. And I'm going to do it in two parts. So quiet time, this part will be the word. And then next week we'll look at prayer. So Psalm 19, verse 8 to 15, or 7 to 14 at least. Afrikaans is 8 to 15. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would now guide us in this evening's series as we start a new series, and especially on this important topic of quiet time, our interaction with your word, that you would lead us in our personal devotions and teach and instruct us this evening. Amen. Now, what I'm going to do this evening is I'm, I'm going to veer and turn away in, uh, let's say, a, not, not a bunny trail, but a different direction than I usually take. Uh, I'm not going to expound the passage at all. I've preached on this passage. You can find that on, on the blog. Um, but what I'm going to do in this series this evening, or in this message at least, is I'm not going to expound the passage for you, and I'm not going to say everything we can say about the passage. What I'm going to do is use it as an example, as an exercise, and I'm going to go with you, and we're going to work in this text, and not through every verse, but we're going to take certain verses. I studied the whole thing, full exposition, planning to preach it this evening, re-preach it, but um, in the end, this is the direction I decided to take. To help you in your personal quiet time, in your personal devotions, to become effective in how you interact with God's Word. And then, as I said, next week we'll study the topic of prayer. Now, before we start, I just want to take a few minutes to show you that God's Word is as important to your soul as food and water and oxygen is to your body. Job said, I treasure it more than the portion of my food. Jesus said, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes proceeds from, from the mouth of God. So God's word is very necessary for you and I. It's necessary for your salvation. You cannot believe unless you have heard, and you cannot hear unless someone preaches. And what is the message we hear? What is the message preached? It's the word of God. It's the word of Christ. We have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but the incorruptible seed of the word, Peter tells us. And then you also need God's word for spiritual growth. In John 17, verse 17, we read Jesus telling us, or at least Jesus praying to his Father, for the disciples, sanctify them in your truth, your word is truth, or by your truth, your word is truth. First Timothy tells us the word is profitable for many different things concerning our spiritual growth. And Peter said we long for it like babies long for pure spiritual milk, like infants long for milk. So we long for the word of God, so that by it we may grow up to salvation. And so because we, because we need the word so much, we need to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. We need to discipline ourselves to spend time in the word. And if you haven't done it uh, lately and recently, well, then you need to confess that you haven't been faithful to God's word, and you need to confess your sin, and then you need to pick it up. 
and trust in the Lord for his grace and strength and pray for help to pick it up once more. So choose, choose a time when you can do it, like Psalm 55, he says three times a day. Psalm 119 says before the break of day or at midnight, or he says seven times a day. Daniel prayed three times a day. Jesus went early in the morning. Um, and then he would withdraw to desolate places. So you find a time, but also a place. He would go to quiet places. Or uh, Isaac, for instance, did the same. He went into the field to meditate. And then before you start, Psalm 119.18, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. So you pray. And just say, Lord, please give me insight. Open my eyes. Give me understanding. All right, now we're going to subdivide, or we're going to divide this at least into five. And it's very easy, the different ways that we respond and interact with God's Word. First is read. Uh, Martin Holt was a man of prayer, but toward the end of his life, there was a, a panel of pastors, and at this panel, these three pastors, older pastors, were asked, what would you do differently in your ministry if you could do it over again? And he said, I would spend more time in God's Word. And he did spend a lot of time in God's Word. But he said he would spend more. And closer to the end of his life, he started reading 30 chapters a day. That was said at his funeral. Because he realized the importance of Scripture. And Jesus realized how important it is to read God's Word. To read it. And that's what Martin Holt realized. But Jesus said it's important to read. That's why often he said to the Pharisees, Have you not read? Have you not read? In other words, it's detrimental to your spiritual walk. It's detrimental to your soul if you do not read God's word. So to benefit from the reading of God's word, we need to do it daily. As Jesus in Isaiah 50 verse 40, a prophecy of the Messiah, where it says day by day or morning by morning, he opens my ear to hear. And so he heard God's word. He learned God's word. And I'd, I'd suggest that you use Robert Murray McShane's Bible reading program. Uh, it'll take you, uh, it tells you it's actually very well divided. It goes for every day of the year. And then it says, right, January the 1st, you read Genesis 1, Matthew 1, uh, Psalm 1, and then in another passage, let's say Acts 1. I'm not sure what the other one was, Romans 1. And so you do that, you read through the Old Testament once, if you do that, and New Testament twice, and the Psalms twice. And D.A. Carson has adapted that, so that you only don't read four chapters a day, but only two chapters a day. And so you can read slower and meditate on it more, and read with more attention. Now perhaps you say, well, whether I read the Bible or not doesn't help much, it makes no difference in my life, and... And besides, I don't remember much if I just read the Bible. I want to respond in three ways. First, by telling you why not then, why not then take a book of the Bible, let's say a short book like Second Peter, or a short book like First um, Thessalonians or First John, and you read through that book every day. A book like First Thessalonians will take you 20 minutes to read through. You read through it every day for 30 days. So you saturate yourself. And in that way, you remember what you read. And then a second observation I want to make is you actually you do remember much more than you realize. I'm busy reading a book on prayer, 
by Douglas Kelly called If God Already Knows Why Pray. I read the book, wow, probably 15 years ago. And some illustrations I've used again and again in teaching, in discipleship and in evangelism, and I saw I got it from that book. <laughs> A number of things. I saw I got it from this book. And it was 15 years ago. J.C. Ryle said that the effect of, of the Word of God is invisible very often. It's like the moon working upon the earth, the effect of the moon on the earth, or uh, oxygen upon your lungs, or the dew. It's imp imperceptible, the dew on the grass. So he says, settle it down in your mind as an established rule that whether you feel it at the moment or not, you are inhaling spiritual health by reading the Bible and insensibly becoming more strong. And a third observation I want to make is reading really helps us a lot because what reading does is if you read larger sections of Scripture, it gives you the broader context. It gives you the bigger picture. It's like an aerial photo where you see the big picture. You see the whole town and not just one street or an individual house. And to help that, you might purchase an audio Bible or get one on your phone for free and listen to it while sitting in traffic, driving in the car. And so you listen to many chapters of the Bible and you see the bigger picture. I think one of the best helps here is the Bible Project. You can find that online. Just type in Bible Project and you'll come to it. Uh, they're, they're little videos. They're eight minutes long and you can look at a video and get a whole picture of this Bible book. They, they help you see the bigger picture of Bible books and the whole of Scripture. So let's apply this to Psalm 19, verse 8 to 15. Let me read it. Or verse 7, sorry, <laughs> verse 7 to 14. I'm following the Afrikaans notes and the verses differ. Verse 7 to 14. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous, presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So just look at the context here. Um, the whole psalm, I didn't read the whole, but only the second part. If you look at the whole psalm, just scan. I hope you have your Bible open, those who are listening to the recording. Just scan verse 1 to 6 and tell me, in one word, what is it about? Just one word. What's the teaching here? What's the doctrine? Is it the Holy Spirit? Is it baptism? Is it prayer? Is it the person of Christ? Is it the resurrection? All right, if you've uh, just scanned through, you'll see it's creation. So verse 7 to 14. So that's 1 to 6. Verse 7 to 14, what's that about? Just in one word again, what's the doctrine? The Word of God, right? It's 
It's all about the Word of God. Now, what is creation trying to tell you if you read verse 1 to 6? The first verse tells you. It's trying to tell you that God is glorious. It's trying to tell you God exists. What is the Bible trying to tell you? The Word of God, verse 7 to the end. It's trying to tell you who this God is, to know this God, to have a relationship with Him. Now, I want to say more about this, but now we're moving into the area of study and no longer just reading. All right, so let's move to the area of study. Jerry Bridges says, Reading gives us breadth, but study gives us depth. And a number of Bible verses really encourage us to study the Word of God, not merely read it. Ezra 7 verse 10 says that Ezra studied the law of the Lord. And then the elders of Israel, they studied the law with Ezra. Nehemiah 8 verse What's it? Probably 13, I think, the Afrikaans is verse 14. Uh, Proverbs chapter 2, in verse 4, tells you to search for God's truth and His word like hidden treasures, like silver. Acts 17, 11, you read of the Jews in Berea, they study the scriptures. They search them to see, is what Paul says true? 2 Timothy 2, 15, do your best to show yourself approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And then Paul, at the end of his life, he wanted the scriptures, he wanted to study in prison. 2 Timothy 4, verse 13. So what study does, it, it helps you to have a greater grasp, a greater understanding, a deeper understanding of the scriptures. And that's, that's very necessary. Because it helps you not to apply it incorrectly. If you don't understand the word, you're going to misapply the word. You're not going to obey it correctly. Like a man who told John MacArthur, this man and wife, they were having marriage problems, a lot of trouble in their marriage. And MacArthur, after talking to them, asking a lot of questions, he said, why did you, why did you two get married? And the guy said, well, our pastor preached on the walls of Jericho, circling it seven times, and the walls fell flat. And so he said, if you see a woman you want to marry, you need to walk around her seven times, literally, and the walls of her heart will crumble and she'll fall in love with you. And MacArthur said, you're kidding me. And the guy said, no, I'm not. I'm not kidding. Several others got married this way. Wow, what an application. Right, so we do need to study the Word of God if we want to understand it and apply it correctly. So how do you study? Um, you ask questions like, are there any words... Or phrases that are repeated in this passage. So let's take verse 7 as an example. Uh, verse, verse 7 to 9. Do you find any repetition there? Just scan your eyes through verse 7 to 9. Words or phrases that are repeated. You'll see the word of the Lord or the phrase of the Lord, of the Lord. Okay, so what, is, what does that teach you about Scripture? Of the Lord, of the Lord. Well, it teaches you it's God's Word. It's not man's Word. And so how do, you, how do you then approach God's Word if it's God's Word? You approach the Word with humility. You approach the Word by submitting to it. It's God's Word. You don't come with a postmodern worldview or a historical criticism of the liberals and you impose your ideas upon Scripture and you stand over Scripture and you criticize Scripture and you say this is wrong in the Bible and that is wrong 
in the Bible. No, you submit and you say, this is what God has said, I should obey. Uh, find another word in verse 79. It's a very small word. It's repeated again and again. Okay, maybe it's not too easy to see because it's small. Uh, the Lord, the Lord is perfect. The Lord, testimony of the Lord is sure. Verse 8, precepts of the Lord are, okay, is or are. Commandment of the Lord is pure. Fear of the Lord is clean. Rules of the Lord are true. Right, so it is, so what is that then? What's the function of that little verb? It's to show you, or to give you a description of the word. So, what is the word like? Perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. And now what you can do is you can take every word in that, or every one of those words, perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true, and then you can dig into that and you can strip those words and try and find out what they mean. How do you do that? Well, Scripture interprets Scripture. And so cross-reference is one of your best friends in Bible study when it comes to the study of God's Word. Uh, so I'd encourage you to get a cross-reference Bible or to uh, download eSword for free. eSword is a Bible program, if you don't know. It's for free on the Internet. And you can find a concordance there. Concordance is just, you'll see a little picture of binoculars. You click on that and you type in whatever word you're searching for. Like in Google, it's a search engine. And you type in, I want to find all the verses on Holy Spirit. Enter. And it gives you all the verses on Holy Spirit. Um, or I want to find all the verses on creation. And you type in the word creation or created. And it'll find that. And then you can take those words and start doing a study of those. Or a cross-reference Bible. It'll have a little, a little number uh, next to, for instance, the word, next to verse 10, for instance, where it says... Um, your word is sweeter than honey, and then it'll give you Psalm 119, verse 103, where the word is also compared to honey. So what I'm trying to say under this point is that you first need to understand the word and the text for yourself. You don't want to be a baby bird where the mother digests the food before she feeds it to the, to the baby. You don't want someone else's digested version, so someone else's commentary first. You first want to study the word for yourself before you turn to commentaries and other people's explanations of Bible verses and Bible passages. Okay, so let's, let's just take verse 8 and we're going to do some cross-referencing and see how this works. And I'd also suggest you can take different translations because that's going to help you to understand certain words better. So let's start, uh, not verse 8, verse 7. The law of the Lord. So the word law. Uh, what was the law according to David? Remember, this is David writing, verse 1 tells us, or the little heading. So the law of the Lord. What, what Old Testament books did David have? Did he have Isaiah? No. Did he have the Psalms? No. <laughs> He's one of the authors of the Psalms. Uh, so he had the first five books. Of Moses, And that's what he's referring to, the law. And maybe he had a few Old Testament, some other Old Testament books. But definitely the first five books of Moses, that's the law. That's even how the New Testament authors understand it. When they refer to the law, very often that's what they mean, Luke 24, 44. And you know, some of us, we find the first five books quite boring. Genesis is fine. The beginning of Exodus is fine. But then you 
hit the tabernacle and then the Levitical laws and the priests and all kinds of other stuff and you find it extremely boring. Well, that was the food for his soul. That is what David is saying in verse 7. It's perfect, this law. I'd suggest again you go to the Bible Project and just look at their uh, six-minute and seven-minute videos on the first five books of the Bible. Excellent, excellent. And it really moves you and, and gives you a grasp and a firmer understanding of what it's about. And then verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. So cross-reference, Psalm 119.96, I've seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. It's, it's magnificent. It's perfect. And so when it says it's perfect, what do we understand? We understand Scripture is infallible. Scripture is inerrant. There are no errors in the Bible. How will that help you when you come to God's Word, when you come to study the Word? Well, it will help you to see I can trust this. I can believe this. And then it says reviving the soul. Cross-reference. He restores my soul. Psalm 23 verse 3. <coughs> How does the Holy Spirit encourage Christians who are spiritually tired and worn out? Well, mainly through the Word. And so if you neglect the Word, you're not benefiting yourself. You're shooting yourself in the foot because it revives the soul. Verse 7, second part, the testimony of the Lord. So the testimony, cross-reference Exodus 31, 18, 32, 15, 34, 29. A testimony, so in other words, God's law, God's word testifies to him. It's a testimony, God's testimony of himself, of his own character. Let's take the Ten Commandments as an example. God's law, he testifies to himself. What, is the, what do the Ten Commandments teach you about God's character? I'm not asking what does it teach you about what you should do and shouldn't do. What does it teach you about God's character? First commandment, you shall know, have no other gods before me. What does that teach you? It teaches you He's the only God. Second commandment, do not make any graven images. Do not make any idols and say this is what God is like. What does that teach you? It teaches you... God is like nothing, and nothing is like God. God is unique, and God is a spirit. Third commandment, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. What does that teach you of God's character? God is holy. Fourth commandment, keep the Sabbath day holy. Six days you shall work, seventh day you shall rest. What does that teach you? It teaches you God is worthy of being praised and worshipped. Because we take a day of rest where we worship God. Fifth commandment, honor your parents. What does that teach you about God? God is your father. Sixth commandment, you shall not murder. What does that teach you about God? God is life. Seventh commandment, don't commit adultery. What does that teach you about God? He is pure. Eighth commandment, do not steal. What does that teach you? It teaches you, God is the owner of everything. Ninth commandment, do not lie. What does that teach you? God is truth. And the final commandment, number 10, do not covet your neighbor's property and his wife and so on. What does that teach you? We should be content with everything God has given us. He's the giver of all good gifts. Right, Psalm 19, verse 7, the end. Making wise the simple.
Oh no, the testimony, no, not the end yet. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Okay, sure, it's certain. Now before you find any cross-references, you need to know what the word sure means. It means it's reliable, it's certain. Uh, God cannot lie. His word cannot be untrue. So Hebrews 6.18, God can't lie. Titus 1 verse 2. So you, in other words, you can believe everything Scripture says. You do not need to doubt. Verse 7, the end, making wise the simple. Deuteronomy 4 verse 6, it says God's laws are very wise. If the Israelites keep them, the other nations will say, look how wise this people, what a wise people and what a wise God they must have with these wise laws. Psalm 119 verse 130, the unfolding of your law gives light and imparts understanding to the simple. And so God gives you a supernatural wisdom for crises. He gives you supernatural wisdom for making decisions in your day-to-day -day life. But then you must acknowledge you are simple. You are a normal human being. Don't set yourself above God's word. Humble yourself under his word. Don't think you know everything. Don't think that, that worldly psychology um, knows more than God's truth. And then also commentaries, commentaries, sermons, uh, books that you can study. Uh, Proverbs 11 tells us in the abundance of counselors is wisdom. And even Apollos was taught by other believers in Acts 18.26. So let's take uh, verse 9 as an example. It says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. I just want to take one word there where it says in verse, uh, I keep on mixing getting the verses mixed up, I'm sorry, with the Afrikaans in English. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right. All right, so that word right, if you had read a commentary, a good commentary, it would tell you that the Hebrew word there, yashar, really means straight. So it's straight, it's, it's the ruler, it's, it's your spirit level, and you measure is this straight. It's the sun, and everyone sets their watch to the sun. So the word is the, the measure. The word is the ruler. The word is straight to show is this true, is this right, is this not true. So you cannot say, oh, the Bible is wrong because science has proved evolution to be true and science has proven that gay people are born that way. No. Scripture is the measuring rod. Scripture is straight. And so Scripture shows us that to say evolution is science and to say people born gay, that's scientific. Well, it's not scientific. It's not scientific. We know those things are theories. And scripture tells us evolution is a lie. It's false. And homosexuality is a sin. You're not born that way. Well, obviously you're born a sinner, but you're not born with some defect in your body and that's why you're homosexual. I want to give you a couple of suggestions for commentaries that you can use. They're not technical. They're easy to understand. The MacArthur Study Bible, I don't agree with everything. Um, I don't agree with his eschatology, but I think it's a good study Bible. Uh, the Bible Speaks Today commentaries, they're good. Wellwin commentaries, easy to read. Uh, John MacArthur, he's got a one-volume Bible commentary. You can get that. Or then online for free, Precept Austin. Precept Austin. And you can find a lot of good Bible commentaries there. 
many good commentaries, or just a study by John Piper, look at the book, it's called, look at the book John Piper, and you can work through those and, and learn more. Our brains are like a, a bucket, a cracked bucket, and so it doesn't hold water. You know, you can get water in your bucket or draw water in the bucket, but it's cracked and so the water leaks. So what Bible study does, Bible study is flexi-tape. And so it seals the bucket and the water doesn't all disappear. You know, I mean, people have many excuses for why they do not study the Bible. And, but usually the reason is very simple. Study is hard work and we're lazy. And that's why people don't do Bible study. But if we did, if we took the trouble to study the Bible, we'd find that, that the profit, profiting from that, it's so much, we get so much more out of the Bible than, than you put in. You, you study and you work hard, but the things you find, it's gold. So keep on studying, even though it's difficult sometimes. Even Peter thought that studying the Bible is hard work. Second Peter 3.16 And so even if you do not always understand at that moment, just be patient. Just be patient. Jesus said to the disciples, many things you don't understand, but the Spirit's going to teach you. And so it's like the sun rising. It's not very clear and very bright, but as the sun gets higher and higher and goes high into the sky, it becomes brighter and brighter. That's how Christian's life is. And our study of the Word also, our growth. Uh, Proverbs 4.18. Number three is memorizing. So we've had reading and then studying, and number three, uh, memorize. Memorize. If you saw my sister playing the piano, you'd be amazed. She is brilliant at playing the piano. And you might think that it seems so effortless, it's just, this is just raw talent. Well, it's not. She practices very hard and plays lots and lots and lots and lots. And so it is with people who know Scripture. It seems, oh, it's just so easy. Well, they practiced and they memorized and memorized and memorized. And you need to do the same. So write out the verses on a piece of paper and draw pictures uh, to help you remember better. And then, very important, memorize the reference as well as the content. Not just the content, the reference also. So you know the address. You don't know the people only. You also know the street and the number of their house. And then word-perfect memorization. You'll remember that better than just more or less memorizing the verse more or less. And you might even just stick up notes everywhere in the house or in your car. Stick up notes with the Bible verses so you see them again and again and again. You know, memorizing Scripture is not a luxury. It's absolutely necessary. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, Jesus, when he, when he withstood the temptation of Satan in the desert, he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. Jesus had memorized Scripture. That is your sword, the sword of the Spirit, in this spiritual battle. You remember some of you ladies, Yulandi Korki, who spoke at our church earlier this year. She spoke to the ladies at the ladies' breakfast, and she was captive in Yemen for, for many, many days. Her book is called 558 Days. I know her husband was in prison for longer than she was, uh, captured by Al-Qaeda. But she said, in her uh, talk to the lady, she said, the importance of memorizing Scripture. You, you get caught, you don't have a Bible, you're in captivity, and 
There's no way for you to have a Bible. What have you memorized? What have you hidden in your heart? Or what if you need to counsel someone or give counsel to a friend or you sharing the gospel with an unbeliever or they've got hard questions at work and, and you don't have your Bible with you? You need to memorize scripture. So I want to encourage you to do that. Even, even if you're someone and you say, I don't remember as well as other people do and I take longer than others to memorize, that's fine, then take longer. But need, we need to memorize. So for instance, if you need to memorize verse 14, uh, let the words of my mouth, and you can draw a little picture of a, a speech bubble, let the words of my mouth uh, and the meditation of my heart, a little heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock, and then you draw a rock, and my redeemer, and you draw a cross. And so write out the words, draw pictures to help you remember. And then what you do then is not only recite the verses, but review the verses. And review them again and again and again until you know them. And then when you learn new verses, you review the old ones. So you don't forget. <coughs> and I suggest you start with verses that you need at this time in your life. Maybe for, to fight a certain temptation or to give encouragement to your own heart in a trial you're going through or something of the sort. Number four is meditate. Alright, so meditate, we, we're not speaking of Eastern meditation. Buddhist meditation, Hindu meditation, where you empty the mind, but scriptural meditation, Christian meditation, where you fill the mind with truth, the truth of God's word. How do you do that? Well, let's take verse 13a. No, again, excuse my verse, not 13, 12a, as an example. Who can discern his errors? Well, let's take the whole verse. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. So, who can discern his errors? Errors, you find, is a plural. Why? So now we're meditating on this. Errors, who can discern his errors? Errors, why not just error? Errors, because they're many. They are many. And then you start thinking of your own errors, your own sins. And then you start confessing them and you pray. And you ask for God's protection, like verse 13 says, Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Uh, who can discern, discern, first, first part of the verse, who can discern his errors, discern, who sees them? Uh, why a rhetorical question, who can discern them? Well, because the answer is obvious, who can discern them? The person who knows the word. You are so full of God's word that you start seeing the Spirit uses that to point out your own sin, sin in your heart. And you discern your errors, you see your sin. The word is a sword that cuts into the heart and reveals the intentions. And so now you pray, and you pray, Lord, please, please show me the sin in my heart that I can confess it, and that I can be forgiven. Verse 12b, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Declare, declare me innocent, declare me innocent. New Testament, declare me innocent. Justification, justification, declare me righteous, declare me innocent. That is exactly what happens when we believe in Christ. As God declares us innocent, He removes our sin through the blood of Christ, and He declares us righteous by the righteousness of Christ. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Hidden faults. So now you start meditating on that. Hidden faults. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Lord, 
Oh, Jesus prayed that way, right? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Hidden faults. Paul sinned in ignorance, 1 Timothy 1.13. There was even a sacrifice in the Old Testament for unintentional sins. Oh, hidden faults. And so now you see how meditation helps you. Meditation is like, like someone, you're not, you're not merely reading about the sun. You're not merely, you don't merely see the sunshine outside through the window, but you go outside and you sit in the sun enjoying the heat of the sun. That's what meditation does. And so you, you draw the good things from the word. You profit from the word. You think over these things and you discover good. Proverbs 16, 20, 2 Timothy 2, 7. And this really helps you. It teaches you and encourages you not to only have a quiet time in the morning and that's it for the day, but through the day you take the word with you. You meditate on the word day and night. Oh, how I love your Lord. It's my meditation all the day. Psalm 119, Psalm 1, verse 2, where you meditate on the word on God's law day and night. And so you're filling, you're filling your heart. And now your heart gets full and you're filled with a word and now it bubbles out and it comes out in praise. Verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And meditation also teaches you to start praying according to God's will, according to God's word, and then your prayers get answered. Because if you abide in me and my words in you, you shall ask whatever you wish and you shall receive it. And if you fill, if you fill your, your heart and your mind with a word in this way, later on what happens? It, it takes over your thoughts. And so you are saturated with a word and the result of that is, well, from the abundance, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And out of your heart come Whatever is good now. And even your dreams at night will be biblical. Proverbs 6 verse 21 and 22. And then finally, number five, obey. So let's say there's a guy. He's, he drives on the highway and he sticks to all the rules. He abides by the law. He does everything the Lord tells him to do when he drives. Speed limit, safety belt, indicators, and the rest. Following distance. But all of that means nothing because he doesn't have a driver's license. And in the same way, you cannot obey Scripture if you are unsaved. If you are not saved, you don't have a driver's license. doesn't matter what rules you try to keep. doesn't help. So you first need to see that the Bible is speaking of you. When it says you are lost, you're an enemy of God. You must see Jesus is speaking with, to you. When he says you are spiritually dead, you must be born again. Repent of your sin, believe in me, to save you from your sin and to save you from hell. And once you've done that, well now every day you need to follow the Lord, you need to follow Christ, you need to obey Christ. And how do you obey him? How do you, how do you apply a book that is thousands of years old? How do you apply it in the 21st century? I'd suggest one of the helps is Wayne Mack has got a set of books called Homework Manuals for Biblical Living. You can find them at Augustine Bookroom. 
in Pretoria and Good Neighbours Bookshop in Rehnberg. Uh, these are excellent resources. What they do is they take you topically through different life issues, anger, anxiety, sexual problems, problems with sleep, problems with overeating, depression, and many, many kinds of problems. And they give you Bible verses, all the Bible verses, all stacked up for you. And you look up the verses, you write down your thoughts, and then he gives you application questions. Excellent. I suggest that. That'll help you with application. And then also ask yourself these questions. When you come to a passage of Scripture, you're studying it, reading it. What am, have I learned something new about God? Is there anything in this passage that I can thank God for? Is there anything in this passage that tells me to pray for something, for myself or for someone else? Is there a promise to believe? Is there a warning to take to heart? Is there a command that I need to obey? Is there a good example I need to follow? Is there a bad example that I need to avoid? Now I want to take one word from verse 13. Or verse 12. Again, I'm mixed up with the Afrikaans. Verse 12. One word and I want to apply it. And that is where it says, or one phrase, who can discern his errors? So the application I take from that is I need to, I personally need to take that truth more seriously. And what I mean by that is every time I come to my Bible in the morning when I read my Bible and I take some time in the afternoon, what I need to do is to pray before I read, Lord, please show me my sin and declare me innocent from hidden faults. Show me my sin so that I can confess it and be forgiven. What will be the result if you obey Scripture constantly? If you, con if you constantly do that, how can I apply? How can I apply? Well, God will reward you. That's what we see in this passage. In verse 11, in keeping them, there's great reward. God will reward you. When will He reward you? Well, obviously when Jesus returns, but He'll even reward you in this life. But not only in this life, the obedience itself is a kind of reward. In keeping them, there is great reward. James 1 says, you will be blessed in your obedience. It's a joy to be obedient, right? And your conscience is crushed and soiled and perverted if you're disobedient, if you live in sin. But obviously none of these things will happen None of the things I preach this evening will happen if we're not in the Word regularly. And that'll only happen. You'll only be in the Word regularly if you really believe verse 8 or 7 to 11. If you really believe the worth of God's Word. If you really believe what Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. That's how it was for me. I remember a time... Early in my ministry, I struggled with my quiet time. I was up and down, doing it for three days, skipping two days, doing it for two days, skipping four days, doing it for five days, skipping a day. On and off, on and off, and I struggled. And a guy encouraged me to work on being constant first, doing it daily, even if I do it for a shorter period of time. And I did that, and the Lord helped me. 
And I'm not, I haven't arrived, but the Lord has helped me to be disciplined in this. And the Lord can do the same for you, as He has done for me, if we value the Word and realize that we need God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the time we, we could spend in the Word this evening. And I pray that You would help all those who hear to hear truly the Word of God and to obey what You teach us in Scripture. And this we ask in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.